I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up once again, talk a little bit about how COVID is directly affecting us now, talk about the election, the aftermath of the election, and a hope for tomorrow. Later on in the pod, we're going to be interviewing three remarkable students from Baylor University, Emma Fraley, Lexi Bogney, and Veronica Pinales. And you will want to stay tuned for that interview. These three students are fighting for equality on their university campus, trying to convince leadership on the university or at the university to accept their LGBTQ plus organization. So stay tuned. Autumn, how are you doing this week? Well, I am one of the more than half of Americans who is super excited about the election results. Yes, they came in this last Saturday. It was, uh, you know, it was it was uh, touch and go there for three or four days as uh, res- uh, returns started to come in across the country. Uh, many people really did not know which way it was going to go. Uh, and then Saturday, the uh, news agencies started to report that uh, now, President-elect Joe Biden will be the 46th president of the United States, and historically, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris will be the next vice president. So, celebrations broke out across the country. Uh, we had a correspondent in Washington, D.C., Starlet Thomas, was on, at Ground Zero at Black Lives Matter Square, interviewing folks uh, as they came out on the street. But Autumn, there was one place where a party did not occur, and that was right across the plaza at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Yeah, it was in actually the 51st state of the United States, the state of denial. <laughs> Reporting from the state of denial. That's exactly That's right. right. President Donald J. Trump is questioning the results of the elections. In fact, at this point, has not conceded, uh, has instructed uh, agencies across the federal government not to work with President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris uh, on the transition. He's acting pretty much like a child, but I don't want to insult children all across the world. Um, it's it's really just unbelievable and i think the most i'm not i'm not all surprised by his reaction to this because i mean it's it's pretty true to the nature when people tell you who they are you should probably believe them and he's been telling us for a while who he is what i think surprises me the most is how many people that i love and respect and have you know looked up to even though we didn't always see you know eye to eye politically how many of those people who are behind him right, and really threatening our democracy? Yeah. I mean, you know, regardless of, of who you voted for over, you know, your time uh, here on the, in, on this planet, and there's always been a peaceful transition of power. I mean, the closest um, we've gotten to a real struggle for power, obviously, was uh, more recently, I guess, is the 2000 election when uh, President Bush at the time was candidate Bush running against Vice President Al Gore. And it took uh, over 30 days to to declare a winner, but uh, Gore conceded the election. I did not agree with it, but went ahead and conceded. And a transition of power began uh, very quickly after that from a Clinton administration to a 
Bush administration. And even four years ago uh, with uh, Hillary Clinton running against President Donald Trump, uh, quickly after the 2016 election, Hillary Clinton conceded to candidate Trump, uh, acknowledging his victory. And once again, President Obama at the time started working with the incoming Trump administration for a smooth transition of power. That's what we do as Americans. We cast our votes. Once those votes are counted, then we accept the results and move forward, whether our candidate won or our candidate lost. And what the current president is doing right now is just really disgraceful. It is an attack against democracy, and those who are enabling him should be ashamed of themselves. With that said, what we are hearing coming out of Washington, D.C., and news organizations are starting to report that behind the scenes, there are long-term federal employees who are reaching out to the Biden or incoming Biden administration to begin to lay the groundwork for the transition. It is over. The president has lost. Biden has won. There's going to be a new administration, and eventually this is going to happen. Even as late as today, uh, our senator from Oklahoma, James Lankford, as well as Senator Mark Rubio, Marco Rubio from Florida, have said that. President-elect Biden needs to start getting the daily briefings. This is ridiculous. And if nothing is done by Friday, the day this pod drops, then they are going to somehow act to make certain he gets those daily briefings because it is, at this point, absolutely ridiculous that he is not. And all of this, Autumn, is happening with COVID cases going through the roof. Yeah. If, you know, I look back in March whenever we sort of shut the whole world down and what our numbers looked like then and what our numbers look like now. And it's just absurd to me that life is continuing on. Um, and I know you and I have both been kind of impacted by this. I have, you know, kiddos who were in and out of quarantine, um, not because they've been exposed directly, mm-hmm. but just as our choice as the numbers in their schools ramp up. Um, we just as early as this morning, decided to cancel all of our extended family holiday plans, which is heartbreaking, and our kids are tearful about not getting to see their grandparents and their cousins, but it's just not worth the risk this year. Right, absolutely. On Wednesday this week, 142,000 new cases were reported with 1,470 new deaths. It is really, really shocking that the numbers continue to escalate all across the country. Uh, there is a heightened sense of fear, uh, and people are really actually starting to act. In some states, such as Illinois and Iowa and Utah, they're considering mask mandates. Um, I know that some governors have even talked about the possibility of uh, shutting down uh, the states again because of this. Uh, Again, mentioning those numbers on Wednesday, this really has hit home for us here in the Randall House because uh, we found out uh, late Wednesday night that three of our extended family members were diagnosed uh, with COVID, and it's just frightening. I mean, you begin to hear about it, you read stories about it, you see news reports about it, but then all of a sudden when you have a family member who was struck down by this disease, uh, it's, it's, it is frightening. Now, I'm thankful to say that all three of those family members are doing well at the 
time of this taping. But you never know. I mean, it could go sideways uh, pretty quickly uh, because this disease, this this sickness is just um, unpredictable. So, mm-hmm. so we're a little bit worried uh, in the Randall House. But you're absolutely right. I mean, this thing is is ramping up again, uh, somewhat out of control. Um, and there, uh, experts are saying that by Christmas we could be looking at two hundred thousand new cases per day, and oh, we're quickly gosh. approaching a quarter billion deaths here in the United States. So um, people wear your damn mask. And I cannot emphasize that enough. And wash your hands. Wash your hands and wear your mask and act like you care about other people. And because I know, I, I believe in my heart, Autumn, that most people truly, genuinely do. Now, some people are obstinate. But we are getting to a critical juncture and critical point in this country. It is time to set aside any political statement that you think you're making, any stance that you think you are taking. We are in crisis mode. It is time to to understand this is an emergency, and we need to be taking care not only of ourselves but of one another. It's Mm -hmm. time that we do this. Well, Autumn, uh, here in just a minute, uh, you and I had the distinct pleasure of sitting down with three students from Baylor University earlier in the week. Um, Emma, Lexi, and Veronica are fighting for equality on the campus of Baylor University. For over 10 years now, they've got a student group that has been filing for a charter to be recognized, and this student group uh, is supportive of LGBTQI students. Some of them identify as LGBTQI students, but the university has denied their charter for over 10 years now. And so it's been, it was a fascinating conversation. And one of the things I want to say right up front, these three students came across as extremely genuine. They are not bitter. They are not angry. They are fighting for equality, not because they dislike Baylor University, They're fighting for equality because they dearly love their university. And you will want to hear what they have to say. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. And on this episode, we've got three very special guests with us, all the way from Waco, Texas, at Baylor University. Emma Fraley is a senior at Baylor, studying science research fellows and philosophy. She is the president of Gamma Alpha Epsilon, Baylor's unofficial LGBTQI plus student organization. She is committed to creating diverse, inclusive spaces for all. Lexi Bogney is a senior at Baylor, studying corporate communication and is from Houston, Texas. She is the current president of an award-winning Baylor NAACP, an organization dedicated to eliminating discrimination in all aspects. Veronica Pinellas is a sophomore at Baylor, and she's also a senior, or excuse me, a senator in the student government at Baylor. She's a member of the unofficial Gamma Alpha Epsilon, majoring in international studies and political science, and minoring in women and gender studies. Veronica will continue her call to action on Baylor leadership until equality is present on the campus. Lexi, Veronica, Emma, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. We are really glad that uh, you are with us today. Uh, I've got one question that we've been asking all of our guests during this pandemic, and that is, how is everybody feeling? Emma, are are you well? No sickness, no COVID going on? 
Well, not COVID, at least. I think I had probably about the nastiest case of flu a couple of weeks ago. Right. Um, but I survived. Good. I'm back and better than ever. Unfortunately, it was the same week that we submitted our charter application. Oh, no. Uh, which oh, was no. about as bad of timing as you could have had. So. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Uh, Lexi, you doing okay? Uh, yeah, for the most part, I'm doing well. Just trying to, you know, make sure I stay on top of things and kind of pull through to the end of the semester. Sure. And Veronica? Doing well. A little inside joke we have going on is um, feeling positive but testing negative. So <laughs> <laughs> That is fantastic. I haven't heard that one. That's great. Well, we wish you all the best uh, in your studies. Uh, it's just a weird world for anybody going to school during this pandemic. So glad you're all feeling well. Thank you. All right. Well, lots going on in your world these days down at Baylor University. A couple of weeks ago, Baylor University Student Senate passed a resolution, No Crying on Sundays, which is a great name, by the way. We love the name of that uh, that resolution. It was passed 35 to 15, calling on the school to reinterpret its statement on human sexuality and add a non-discrimination clause to its policies for student organizations. At that time, or at this time of this uh, interview, the school has not yet acted upon that resolution. As a senator in your student government, can you walk us through why this issue is so important for the campus and your fellow students? I think that question might be for Veronica. (laughs) (laughs) Just a quick um, correction to that. The bill actually passed 31 to 15. Oh, okay. Okay, so Veronica, if you can walk us through uh, wh- why what has happened uh, historically, because I know this isn't the first time uh, this, the Student Senate has passed a resolution, but this has been going on for quite some time. So can you walk us through and educate us on this issue? Yes, absolutely. So um, I was elected as a senator in May, and I got started on this bill right away just because I've known um, sort of firsthand the kind of reaction that people get when people come out here on campus, such as when I came out my freshman year, I was kind of met with a lot of discriminatory comments on Instagram. Um, Tensions were kind of weird between me and my friends after that moment, and Gamma was there for me as a support group, and I knew that Baylor University didn't recognize them for what they they were. Um, So this bill essentially was supposed to be a way for Gamma to get chartered, and um, in the actual literature of the bill, it's a broad non-discriminatory clause, so mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily just pushing for Gamma to get chartered, but just to have a non-discriminatory clause added to the general process of chartering clubs. Right. So it, it's, an, it's an unofficial uh, club or organization, but Emma, why is it important, uh, not only for you as, as an individual and LGBTQI community, why is it important for the university to officially acknowledge your student group? Right. So yeah, um, that's a great question. Was that for me? Yeah. Uh, either one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, so for us, it's kind of twofold, right? So there are the very manifest benefits of being, you know, an official chartered organization on campus, such as being to adver- being able to advertise and recruit other members, being able to hold events on campus, having access to Baylor's um, student organization resources. There are a lot of very, like, physical things that we stand to benefit from, from being chartered. 
But there's also this much larger and, I mean, almost more important symbolic aspect, which is, you know, for Baylor to say, you know, these are students that we, we recognize are on campus. We understand that you are here and you are here and you are loved and you are appreciated. And we are happy that you are a part of this campus. Um, you know, Baylor being a private school and, you know, the academic and athletic powerhouse that it is, it brings in students from all over the country and all over the world. And, you know, people come from very different backgrounds and different perspectives. And that is one thing that I believe makes Baylor such an important space to have these diverse conversations with people. So why does Baylor want to not extend that to this group of very, you know, vulnerable yet important students who are also here and stand to benefit from being full Baylor students just like anyone else? Well said. And, and Lexi, as president of the Baylor NAACP, uh, what is your involvement uh, in, in advocating for the recognition of this student organization? So um, with my involvement, it's just kind of uh, been a thing of I, I've seen the way that Baylor Gamma has been treated since I first entered campus in the fall of 2018. Um, the club, you know, since it is not chartered, it's not advertised, and most people don't really know it exists unless you're a part of it. And I remember I one day I was entering the sub, which is kind of the place where we go to eat or study, you know, during the day, and they were closing at around, you know, 8 p.m., and I noticed some members of Baylor Gamma kind of setting up in the corner of the sub, and I was wondering, you know, what this organization was, and I had saw one of my friends that I knew, um, Brittany Laverne, and I had asked her, and I was like, well, what organization is this? And she was like, oh, it's, um, you know, Baylor Gamma Alpha Epsilon. He said, you know, the unofficial, you know, LGBTQ club. And I was like, well, you know, why aren't you guys meeting in a room? And because they're not a chartered organization, they don't have the same rights, essentially, that my organization, Baylor NAACP, does. You know, we can host events, we can... Um, request rooms we can input information on to connect and you know recruit members and things like that but Baylor Gamut isn't allowed to do that and so I felt as I came into my position as um, Baylor NAACP president um, supporting their charter is something that we really needed to do because it's something that other organizations haven't done in the past. Now obviously this issue isn't just specifically for Baylor um, and I'm certain that you've done research in other universities and colleges. Uh, are there other colleges and universities that are faith-based that have, a, you know, have recognized uh, student organizations that are supportive and advocate for LGBTQ people? So Baylor is obviously part of the Big 12, um, which is, you know, our athletic conference, um, very, you know, successful. Um, also being a part of that, you know, the Power Five. Of those two groups of institutions, Baylor is the only one not to recognize an LGBTQ plus student organization in some form. Um, obviously, many of those schools may be state uh, institutions or, you know, not faith-based, um, but there are several which are, including, for example, University of Notre Dame or Texas Christian University. Um, so, you know, that's kind of one way where we can compare Baylor to, you know, some of its peer institutions, you know, at least comparing them, you know, athletically and academically. Um, but even looking at the state of Texas, for example, um, Trinity University down in San Antonio is Christian affiliated. And um, what they have done is allowed LGBTQ plus student organizations to form, but they've kind of taken them on um, in a little bit of a 
a less official, you could say, stance where the organization is recognized, but they do make a statement saying this organization does not necessarily represent the views of the university as a whole. So instead of coming out and saying, you know, as an institution, you know, we don't accept you here, we don't want you here, they've said, okay, we respect your you know, right to organize, your right to find support with one another, but, you know, we want to make our position very clear. Um, so we've seen that there are other ways for schools to do this um, rather than just straight up um, refusing to let us organize. So you're saying there are examples uh, out in the country of other universities and colleges that uh, even though they may not approve of LGBTQ individuals, um, they're, and, and I, I hate to use this term <laughs> lifestyle, but that would that'd be a term that they would sure. use. Um, there are schools that may not endorse that, again, quote-unquote lifestyle, but are accepting of organizations that are recognizing there are LGBTQ students on their campus and they want to give them the full rights of a student that are on campus. And Baylor is has not done that yet. Not yet, no. Okay, so Veronica, I'm going to ask you this. Why has Baylor, in your opinion, rejected Gamma Alpha Epsilon's request to be recognized for 10 years going now? Yeah, so this was a question I asked myself a lot throughout like the months we spent researching what we needed um, to know for this bill to pass within our own student group. But essentially, it's just having to um, talk with people who are a little bit afraid to take a risk and bring this issue up to the regents and say like, look, these students are sticking their necks out, their reputations out to say like, look, we have the student body support, it passed in Senate, Um, what can you do to help us? And those faculty members saying like, okay, we recognize that this is an issue, but we're too hesitant to take that risk to bring this upon the regents because we don't want to burn the bridge between the regents and us and it's like is that bridge between you guys like does that bridge even exist like if you're not going to use it to take risks to talk upon issues like this then what is that bridge doing um so essentially like we've been told time and time again the battle is with the regents um the regents are the ones who have the ultimate say about whether or not the human sexuality statement gets reinstated but then you realize like What if it's just um, the past, the challenges we get faced along with this, like, challenge to get Gamma chartered? It's like faculty members are hesitant and they won't take that risk. And that puts more of a challenge on us when it's like we're trying to build this unified effort to show the regents who are supposed to be the final boss in this. Mm -hmm. Um, But essentially, it's just a lot of people who are too scared to take a risk, I think. And Lexi, do you see this as... When one group's rights are uh, denied, then the possibility of everyone's rights could be denied is a possibility? Um, Yes, totally. Um, Because I think if, uh, especially just being in a position from a chartered organization standpoint, and there are certain things that, you know, we have tried to accomplish that we um, can't get through. Um, And I don't want to say it's because of, um, you know, discrimination, which it, it might be, but a lot of it has to do with the rule because what are the regions going to think? And mm-hmm. kind of going back to also uh, what are other alumni going to think? And I mean, 
if we, you know, stay quiet and don't support Gamma and getting their charter, that's just going to prevent, you know, other organizations from being able to be chartered as well. Because, I mean, um, another situation that I slightly recall, I believe, from my freshman year, I believe it was a Muslim organization that was trying to get chartered on campus. And I just remember going on social media that day and there were so many alumni, you know, saying that, you know, essentially that this is blasphemous and, and um, that it was, you know, wrong for a Christian school to kind of, you know, support their charter. And it's like, well, if you can't even support another religion, how are you also going to support, you know, just people in general? And that goes for LGBTQ, you know, and then minorities as well. If we aren't, you know, being non-discriminatory against our students, then how do you expect to feel supported mm -hmm. as a student on campus? So the Muslim student organization was granted a charter. They were not, so they were denied one as well. I believe so. I think they were denied one as well. I just remember a lot of backlash for them trying to even um, create a space for themselves on campus, even though we're, we're a school that prides itself on supporting students of all backgrounds. As long as they're Baptists. <laughs> Thank you. They had as a like a dunked at the age of five in a red carpeted church Baptist. I'm clutching my pearls a little bit. <laughs> I mean, you you say that as a joke, but in all sincerity, I think that even organizations of other denominations were not allowed until. Don't quote me on this, but I think 2003. Wow. Yeah, and like today, we still have the Secular Student Alliance, Muslim alliances trying to get chartered, trying to at least like have a little bit of. Baylor recognition, like saying, like we're we're this is a school of not just Christians, even though we are a Christian university, and it's just it hasn't happened. Um, so what's frustrating to me about all this, and I, Autumn's got some other questions, and I, I'm really a question hog sometimes. What's frustrating he, to me? What's frustrating to me, and as uh, an alumni of uh, Truett Seminary, which is on the campus of Baylor is that it seems as though Baylor University has no problem uh, uh, accepting uh, people from other faiths, uh, other perspectives, onto the university campus. They have no problems cashing their checks uh, for tuition and room and board, but when it comes to the full rights of a student on campus to, to, to be what it means to be a student there at Baylor, then then there's a line drawn. You're getting three-fifths of the experience. Yeah, that's what it feels like. And it's just, it's really frustrating, especially for a university who claims to want to be a tier one university, uh, not letting their students be who they are, not let their students meet officially as part of the, the, the university. It's just really, really frustrating. So, Autumn, I'm so sorry. I, I better it's do. okay. It's okay. I mean, Dr. Pepper floats can only cover so much ground, <laughs> and at some point, we need some rights, right? Okay, so Veronica, you co-authored a column for Good Faith Media this week addressing this very matter. Um, you and your co-author, Addison Knight, offered some pretty personal insights into what it's like to be an LGBTQ plus student at Baylor. So can you just tell us a little bit about, um, for folks who maybe haven't read the article yet, can you talk a little bit about it? Yeah, so um, 
Baylor prides itself on this little like diversity mission statement that it has. And it's, it essentially says, um, love thy neighbor are not just words, they're a way of life. And um, I guess Baylor's way of showing that is me opening my door one morning um, to a sticky note that says the word F-A-G on it um, over and over for about a week until um, one of the signs got taken down and I essentially reported it. But that happened this semester. So when I first came out um, with, again, that Instagram post after running the line with a rainbow um, face painted on my thigh, um, a bunch of discriminatory comments were caught, like, posted on my Instagram, and I reported it to HRC leadership, which, um, for those who don't know, is the Honors Residential College, where I still live because I have a two-year contract, um, reported it to leadership and was essentially told that um, something was going to get done about the girls who posted those comments because they had a spot on HRC leadership, and essentially they told me they would get taken off. So I came back this semester to them still on the council, um, still kind of like living their lives like nothing was done about it. Um, so, of course, that kind of put me like a little bit at an unease here in a dorm that I'm supposed to be. Um, in your own home. Exactly. Yeah. So I know a lot of people here feel that way because when that stuff happened, a lot of my friends who aren't necessarily out, who are out, like they kind of voice their concerns. They're like, okay, so what do we do now? Like as a community, what are we supposed to do to react to this? Because if we report it and nothing gets done, what does that say to us? Like, Baylor, one, doesn't recognize a support group for us. Two, does that mean they're not even going to protect us if something happens against us? So, yeah, that's my coming out experience here at Baylor. But Wow. Uh. So do you think, I mean, and ask all three of you this. I've heard stories like that before, and, and obviously it's not exclusive to Baylor. Uh, happens on universities, campuses all across the country. Uh, Autumn and I happen to live in Norman, Oklahoma, where the University of Oklahoma is. We have had plenty of problems with, with racism and homophobia and, and, and xenophobia. Um, do you feel like that Baylor is ignoring these instances that you just spoke of, Veronica, Lexi, Emma, that they're trying to look the other way? Why aren't they meeting these issues face on and dealing with them? It seems like they're just being swept under the rug, according to your accounts. Um, well, um, Baylor does have a history of sweeping things under the rug. And, I mean, I think that we can look at Baylor historically and, and see, um, for example, you know, after the passing of Brown v. Board of Education, Baylor did not integrate fully until 1966, which was when we had our first black student on campus. Um, that's several years later. Um, Baylor has been very, very slow um, to change in, in many aspects, which is not always a bad thing, um, but it does mean that in the meantime, the lives of students and faculty and staff on campus and people who are affiliated with the university um, are suffering during the meantime. And I think that Baylor um, wants to say, oh, we're talking about it. Oh, we're working on it. Oh, we're trying to figure it out. And it's like, well, okay, you know, I can appreciate the want for deliberation and to make, you know, an educated decision. But at the same time, you have to recognize the fact that, you know, that story that Veronica just told, things like that are happening all the time. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, we may not know about it every single time, but that doesn't mean that it's not going on. And in the meantime, we can't just keep allowing things like this to happen for the sake of having conversation. Yeah, and while these conversations are taking place, then discrimination and bigotry continues to occur to students, and students continue to suffer uh, under that bigotry, while all the time leadership is still talking about it. At some point, those words have to turn into action. I absolutely agree. Emma, you also wrote an opinion column for us this week, um, and you talked specifically about finding other LGBTQ plus students on campus. So can you tell some of our listeners who may not have read that a little bit about your article? Sure, yeah. So my coming out experience um, was very two part. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have this similar understanding where you kind of come out first um, to people that you probably know are going to be a little bit more accepting. Um, and for me, that meant my friends. So when I started coming out on campus, that really allowed me to start talking about a part of my life that I hadn't really been willing to confront for a very long time. So for me, oh, just being able to have these conversations um, was a huge step forward for me in my personal life. And I think that that's something that everyone wants to do in college. I mean, the whole point of going off to live on your own for the first time in your life is to figure out more about yourself and who you are, um, you know, a product of your upbringing, but also independent of it. And um, for me, that meant learning more about my identity, um, what does that mean for my life in all aspects, um, and the people that I met at Baylor really allowed me to do that for the first time. Excellent. Now, we're talking primarily about uh, the rights of LGBTQ plus uh, students on the campus of Baylor University today. But Lexi, you're president of the NAACP there at Baylor. Um, have you and your peers there at Baylor experienced any type of racism or discrimination while on campus? Um. I, w I would hate to say that it's almost every day, um, if not in the form of, you know, just outright racism, a microaggression, um, or something of that nature. And it's very disappointing. I mean, I remember coming in my freshman year and, you know, upperclassmen telling me stories of kind of, um, I, I had a few upperclassmen telling me that there was a um, few black students who, um, after the 2016 election and um, uh, President Donald Trump was elected, um, they were getting pushed off the sidewalks and, you know, they just remember being in their dorms at, you know, two in the morning and just hearing, you know, cheering and screaming and yelling and just being in fear of what these next four years were going to look like. And then I just, for myself personally, with this um, past election that just recently happened, um, it kind of worked out in a way, but I just remember um, being so terrified in August about what it was going to look like when the election hit and I just happened to be at home and I was able to, you know, stay in my house with my family and be safe. But I was just so worried for, you know, my friends and then also um, faculty of color that m were going to have to be on campus in the days following and what that was going to look like. Mm -hmm. And I mean, just being on Zoom and, you know, seeing people with Trump 2020 flags in the background of um and during classes, it's kind of nerve-wracking. You wonder what that's going to look like. And just even on the level of being a student of color, I, it also makes me fearful for those who are not only students of color, but those who are LGBTQ plus as well, because you face that level of in intersectionality where, well, where not only you're being discriminated against because 
for your color, but you're also being discriminated against in just the way you identify. And so while I have, um, you know, my own kind of issues with the way, you know, Baylor handles, um, you know, instances of racism and, you know, homophobia and things like that, it just also, um, it's very disappointing because from my perspective, it seems like that Baylor is more about pleasing the regents and alumni rather than students that are actively on campus every single day. Now, How do, diverse are the regents? Do you know? Um, I mean, I could I, 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 For the most part, I believe there's one or two regions of color. I remember we had a conversation about it this past summer um, because one of the biggest things that um, that NAACP worked on uh, these past few months was getting Baylor to just even say the phrase Black Lives Matter. We had to write an entire, you know, kind of letter calling them out and pointing out that, you know, you saying those three words would mean a lot because mm-hmm. um, uh, we're having a, a, a week of events this week through the Black Student Coalition, and uh, there's about 790 Black students on campus. Mm-hmm. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's what the number was. It's like less than 1,000. We make right. up six five five 5% of the school. Um, and so... And then I have several friends who are students of color and then also to um, our LGBTQ plus. So again, that level of intersectionality where, mm-hmm. you know, people are coming at you, you know, twice or three times as hard, depending on how you identify. Yeah. Well, so speaking of border regents, uh, and they were mentioned in, in this conversation, a dissent to your resolution was filed by one of your fellow students. Uh, I found it online a student mentioned the influence of the Baptist General Convention of Texas. The Texas Baptist Convention comprises 25% of the Board of Regents. Do any of you think that Texas Baptist clergy and leaders are pressuring the university so that they will not change their statement on sexuality? I mean, my answer to that, I know there was a lot of talk about how we're funded by that convention, this, this, and that. But my question is, like, does Baylor really want that influence if they won't be um, accepting of, like, their own students, LGBTQ or whatnot? Um, I know they were talking about how, like, Baylor gets huge amounts of funding from the convention, but Baylor also doesn't get a lot of funding because of their discriminatory funding uh, practices. So it's like... Do we even want to be represented or backed by a convention that doesn't support all of its students? Are, are the, have the regents reached out? Any of the regents reached out to you to talk to you about uh, your charter, to talk to you about your concerns or issues? They haven't reached out to me as author of the bill. Um, I don't think they've reached out to Emma. Historically, so, have they reached out to any uh, you know any? Uh, you know, students who uh, are now graduates who were part of this? Because this has been going on. This just didn't happen overnight. This has been going on for 10 years. Right. I know, I know that regents... Yeah, go ahead, Emma. I know I'm that sorry. regents have taken place with conversation um, regards to this issue, um, you know, with current students, with alumni, um, for example. I don't know exactly who initiated those conversations, but I know that they have happened in the past, but no such conversation has happened, at least in my term as president. Okay. And I know what I was told when we asked our student body, body president for an audience with the regents, he essentially said that they are some very hard people to talk to um, and talking to alumni who have been fighting in this cause who were granted that audience. It's like trying to talk to the regents is a battle in itself. 
So. Mm-hmm. And what I really appreciate about the tone that all three of you have struck, as well as uh, students that we have talked about or talked to in the past, is that you are not doing this out of any spite towards your university. You truly are doing it because you love Baylor University and you want it to be more inclusive so that more people can have an opportunity to be educated there. And that just speaks volumes to me that you don't come across as angry. You don't come across, I mean, yeah, there's some disappointment in there, obviously. There's some frustration in there, obviously. But you're doing this out of in good faith, in goodwill, because you simply love Baylor University and you want anybody who wants to attend there to be able to do so in a safe environment. Yeah, if I could just say something about that. Um, you know, my personal history with Baylor, so I come from about 2,000 miles away, um, but Baylor University, um, I, I wish that I could find a picture of me in high school because I wore the same Baylor sweatshirt every single day <laughs> my senior year. Um, I'm pretty sure at, at that point in my school of 2000, probably every single student know, knew that I was going to go to Baylor University. It was not even a question. And, you know, for me, that decision was because of Baylor's faith affiliation and being a Christian university and their commitment to, you know, academic rigor. Those were two things that were very, very important to me. And the reason why I bring that up is because one common um, question that we get, um, you know, as LGBTQ plus students at the university is people saying, well, if you knew it was going to be that bad, why did you go there? And first of all, there are examples of students for whom choosing a university was not really a choice. Um, for example, maybe um, it was the only school that offered them the financial incentive to come, or maybe their parents were strongly encouraging them to attend. So it, let's assume, though, that students have the you know initiative to make that decision for themselves. I chose Baylor because of its Christian commitment. That was something that was important to me. I didn't come here despite Baylor's Baptist affiliation. I came here because of it. And I don't think that we can just pretend like being gay and being Christian um, is incompatible um, because these are things that are both very important to me personally and to many students on campus. Um, And I don't think that we should be forced to choose one or the other when Baylor has an opportunity to embrace both. Outstanding. Very, very well said. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Emma, Veronica, Lexi, we really appreciate you joining uh, Good Faith Weekly, and we wish you the very best. We hope that this resolution uh, spurs the uh, regents to finally act and accept the charter of your organization. We hope it even goes further and that eventually all LGBTQ plus people will feel safe and welcome and affirmed on the campus of Baylor University. And I say that as an alumni. I dearly hope that for, the, for Baylor and hope it for the church as well. And uh, Good Faith Media, we're certainly committed to making that happen. Well, before we let you go, Autumn's got one last question for each of you. Yeah, I do. So our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of everything that we've talked about today, uh, let's go Lexi, Emma, Veronica, give us your more to tell. Um, I think my more to tell is uh, essentially that, you know, there's always more work to be done and kind of echoing what um, Emma mentioned. And um, it it kind of struck me when she said, well, if you knew it was going to be that bad, why would you go to a Christian school? Because it's kind of the same sentiment that students of color get. Um, If you you knew it was going to be so bad, why did you go to a primarily white institution? 
And I feel like um, no matter where you end up, no matter the circumstance, you should be able to feel safe and inclusive in, in, in any space. So um, for me, just always making sure that there's more work to be done, you know, while, um, you know, passing that bill is a great first step, you know, there's more steps to be taken. And um, if Gamma's charter is going to open doors for other students to feel safe and comfortable and on campus, and that's what some, that's something that we're all going to have to keep working towards. Well said. So for me, my more to tell is that this is not just a conversation that Baylor is having. This is so much bigger than just, you know, just Gamma, just Baylor, um, even just, you know, Christian universities. This is a conversation that Christians in America and around the world are starting to confront, and we're starting to have, you know, these discussions, um, because this is a, a thing that a lot of people are talking about right now, and just because Baylor um, is obviously the primary focus of my life doesn't mean that we don't have the possibility to affect other change as well. So I just think that this um, is a conversation that we will be continuing to have, um, certainly for the rest of my life, I think. Um, and I'm just very excited to see where that takes me. And Veronica, you get the last word. Amazing. So yes, I wrote this bill not with the desire to rewrite Baylor University as a Baptist university, but just for them to recognize that their human sexuality statement is no longer what they're preaching. Um, and it is out of the love that I have for this university that I place a call to action on Baylor leadership to kind of show us the love that they're calling on us to show to our fellow students um, because this university is home for us, and until all of us are able to exist as the people that we are, then is it really? Amen. Lexi, Veronica, Emma, it has been a pure delight. Thank you so much for joining Good Faith Weekly. We wish you the very best as the semester is coming to an end. Hope your studies go well and your finals are just a breeze and that Baylor comes to their senses and passes this thing and gets you guys recognized as a student organization. We need to get that done, folks. So thank you for being on Good Faith Weekly. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for tuning in to Good Faith Weekly and appreciate uh, you sticking with us. And tune in next week as Autumn and I will return. Until then, make certain you're living good faith.